today I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I am going to do what they call preaching from the lectionary. The lectionary is a, is a set standard of scriptures that are prescribed across the Christian world that um, preachers can follow on a regular calendar. And typically, I, I don't do that. Um, but today I am, because today is a very special day. Today is the day that we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. And so with that in mind, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that in your pew Bible, I'm going to pray for us, and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So tell me, tell me about your faith. When I first started out in ministry, I, I used to ask that question of people all the time. And, and if they were people of faith, or, or at least churchgoers, the answer over the years pretty much was the same. Well, I go to such and such a church, been going there since I was a kid. They used to have a great youth program, I'm not so sure anymore, but I do love the new addition that they just put on to the fellowship hall. And for some folks, such an answer comes from the idea that, that their church and their faith is the same thing. And that the best way to describe their faith is to describe their church. For others, a, a real answer, an, an answer about what Jesus is to them in their life, it is too much to fathom and sometimes too personal to share. But when someone who is describing their faith by describing their, their church or, or by describing even their pastor, something's gone a little bit off the track. Because it's a very fine, very easy to cross line that transfers our faith in God to faith in a, a specific church or a specific pastor. That's dangerous. And it's actually been going on since the days of the early church. This is Acts 19, starting in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland regions, and he came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they replied, No. No, we have never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So it sounds like he was talking to a bunch of Presbyterians. The Holy Spirit, what is that? The Holy Spirit is the presence of Christ with us, abiding in us until that day of Jesus' triumphal return. Jesus promised us the Spirit. It was one of the last things he did. He said, I'm going to be with you always. And that means that the Spirit will surround you. And the Spirit makes us feel alive. It's what creates joy, and it compels us to speak mercy and forgiveness. The Spirit energizes us to share the good news, the hope that, that we have in the gospel and in the resurrection and in those promises of Christ. The Spirit gives us life, abundant life. And yet, most of us treat the Holy Spirit as if he's the third man that showed up at an unwanted party that was really for the Father and for the Son. So when Paul asks if they received the Holy Spirit when they became believers, he's asking a question that should really be asked of every one of us today. 
And there's a possibility, I'd say a strong possibility, that some of us, like those early believers, might say, nope, nope, never heard of this Holy Spirit. And for Paul, that created quite a conundrum. He could only imagine being a believer through the work of the Holy Spirit. There was no believer without the Holy Spirit. Because to just say that you're a part of something, but then not lead your life in in, in a way that reflects that belonging, doesn't seem quite right. So then Paul says, okay, well, then into what were you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism. Now, think about this for a second. Paul is talking to a bunch of believers. Why, why would he ask about their baptism? Because we just assume that if you're a believer, then of course you've been baptized. Because baptism is this outward visual sign that reflects an inward seal that goes around your heart. When we baptize, we do it as a confession of faith. And that makes it very different than just being in church. See, anybody can come to church. Anybody, at any time, everyone is welcome in this place. But sitting in church, even if you do it for decades and decades, does not mean that you're a believer. So there is the step of baptism. And baptism, at its very heart, is about publicly proclaiming that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that you're going to seek to spend your life actively following him in life and in ministry. And more importantly, it's about making an announcement that you have been claimed by God and that you are grafted permanently into the body of Christ. That's why baptism is such a deeply personal thing. And it shouldn't be entered into lightly or because somebody else is is pressuring you into doing it. At the end of the day, baptism is between you and the Lord. And that's why we should never, ever make the assumption that baptism assures our salvation. Our salvation is not a moment in time, but this continuous reality. A union with Christ is not an isolated event, but it is the shape of our Christian lives. Baptism is just the beginning of being a follower of Jesus. Now let me flesh that out a little bit. I was baptized as an infant. I had no idea what that meant or what was happening. If I could remember it, I'd probably remember it as the time that my parents decided to give me a bath with all my clothes on in front of a whole bunch of people who were smiling and remarking about what a precious baby I was. And I was precious. (laughs) But I no more made the decision to get baptized than I did make the decision about what to wear on the day that it happened. But what did happen, what did happen on that day was that my parents and my church made a promise that they would do everything that they could to raise me as a child who would come to know and love the Lord, that they would stick with me, through the years, and that they would teach me all that they knew about the Savior that they loved in hopes that one day, one day maybe, I would claim him in my heart as my very own. Now, ultimately, I did make that decision later on in life, and it was that decision that saved me. The other thing about my baptism 
and that of both of my siblings, is that the pastor who officiated them, whom at the time my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents deeply loved, ultimately went on to have an affair with the church secretary. So does that mean that my baptism didn't take? Or, Or that we need to have a redo? Absolutely not. Because you see, baptism is about believing in Jesus Christ, who does not disappoint us, not the pastor who baptizes us. And if we are baptized into Christ, then our connection to him is not going to be broken by a broken human being who administered the baptism. In the book of Romans, we read that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is why, regardless, regardless of the method, whether you were sprinkled or immersed or dunked or just full out thrown into the river, regardless of the method or the person who officiates it, we only get baptized once. One time. Because nothing, nothing can ever break that seal between us and the Savior. And that gets us to the root of Paul's concern. The people say that they were baptized into John's baptism. Now, Scripture tells us that John was a pretty charismatic guy. He really was. I mean, this is a man who just basically stood at the river, and hundreds if not thousands of people showed up and said, let's go. Let's do this. And he dressed so cool. He was so cool. He's the only one that we know of that that could rock camel hair and leather while eating locusts and honey and still have people just show up in swarms. And not to knock John one bit, but even today, even today, people get drawn into a cool pastor, which is why I know that you're all here. Right? But you know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about that guy with the skinny jeans and, and the fake pseudo-Western shirt, drinking their latte and playing their video games. You know what? None of that, none of it matters if they are not pointing the way to Jesus, not just with their cool words, but with their whole lives. Which in John's case, he, he was trying to do, even if the people didn't quite get it. So Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that one is Jesus. Paul told them that the baptism of John was merely a baptism of repentance, and that's the first step to coming to Christ. The first thing that happens when you want to get baptized is you're going to get asked, do you renounce the power of sin and evil in your life? And when you get to that place, when you acknowledge that there is sin, that there is evil in the world and it has no hold on you anymore, that's the place where you start in baptism. And then you receive that promise of new life through the gift of the Holy Spirit. John's life work was really about helping people to understand their brokenness and their need for a Savior. Again and again, Scripture records that that John knew that about himself. His whole job was to point the way to the Savior, to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. John was not perfect. Jesus was. Pastors are not perfect people. Jesus is. So when it comes to baptism, it is never going to be about the pastor or about the church. It's always going to be about that personal, deep relationship with Christ. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came upon them, 
and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied all together. There were about 12 of them. Now, friends, I know when it comes to the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that we think of is this talking in tongues, this prophesying. And I want to assure you that there are enough gifts of the Spirit for all of us. And if you have never spoken in tongues or you have not prophesied, that does not mean that you have not been touched by the Holy Spirit. What it means is that your gifting may be different. To have the Holy Spirit come upon you means that that you are fully alive. The Holy Spirit is that breath, that breath that was breathed into Adam and Eve. In the Hebrews, it's almost the same exact word. That Spirit brings us to life with all of the curiosity and wonder and taste for adventure that goes with it. In other words, God didn't simply create us to to go through the motions. God created us to live life to the fullest. And living that kind of life has implications for us and, and what it is that we believe. When the Spirit comes upon us, it means that there is motion and there is activity for us to be involved in. The Spirit of God is, is working in the world, and that work is the motion of God. The Spirit has not stopped. And that means that God still has stuff for us to be doing. And you know how we know that the Spirit hasn't stopped? Because Jesus' promise to us is that you will have this Spirit until I come back. And best I can tell, he's not back yet, so the Spirit is still at work. All of those things that Jesus left for us to be doing, those are spirit-led works. Those things like going out into the world and making disciples and baptizing and teaching and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. All of those things continue because the spirit continues on. And the spirit is like the wind and you have to follow it very closely. You do that through prayer. That's how you follow the Spirit. But you need to follow it closely because you've got to see which direction you're headed in. And you need to be open to the idea that the Spirit may not always blow in the direction that you would like for it to go in. And, more importantly, that the Spirit may change its direction over the course of your life. This is why Paul's question was so, so important. If you come to baptism because you really like the pastor— or you really like the church, what are you going to do when the pastor leaves? Or if the church changes? What happens when, when your belief in a human pastor falters on something that only a perfect God can redeem? What is your baptism going to be worth to you if the specific church building that you got baptized in gets turned into a parking lot? Who are you claimed by? Are you claimed by Jesus or by a specific pastor or church? See, the answer to that question has eternal ramifications, but also also earthly consequences. Friends, let me assure you, people and institutions disappoint us, and sometimes they outright fail us. But Jesus, Jesus is constant, permanent, filled with grace and mercy, and perfect. Sung and I had the opportunity to go and and worship in the church that I grew up in a few weeks ago. And if you subtracted the two of us and the preacher and the preacher's family, there were 12 people in the room. It's not a church like ours where there's three services. 
They have one service, and there were 12 people in the room. So the reality is that that church may not be long for this world. And I already told you about the man who baptized me. He's, he's long since been removed from ministry. But my baptism is just as true, just as secure, just as solid as it has ever been because my baptism is into Christ and my life is held within the winds of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been baptized, take some time this week to consider who or what you were baptized into and then see how your life (laughs) reflects that baptism. Perhaps you may discover that it's time to make a change. If so, let's do that. Let's, let's do that together. And if you haven't been baptized, but, but feel that you are ready to be claimed by Christ as his very own, come see me. Come see me. Let's do this. Let's start this together. Because there is life to be had in the waters, and that life is worth living and worth living fully baptized into Christ and into Christ alone. To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.